Hate Watch with us. And spoiler alert, we've got some serious shit for you today. Whoa! (laughs) That was so very smooth. I know, I thought it would be. Um, So today... We are going to dedicate the majority of our time to spoilers, spoiler culture, and everything we feel about spoilers. I know for me, spoilers have a pretty big place in my life. Um, And then we'll see, it's going to be a pretty freewheeling conversation, so we'll see what that leaves us for time. At which point, we are going to try some hate watch analog, which is a non-media thing that we hate about. Or do we hate it? No. I think we love to hate it. (laughs) And in this case, our hate watch analog is office supplies and other types of stationery. (laughs) Get hype. Get hype. It's one of those things that like sounded a lot cooler in our Slack channel, but now that I've actually said it out loud with like real human words, (laughs) sounds a little nerdier. (laughs) We're bringing you to the audio paper source. (laughs) watch field trip (laughs) another really fun fact about today's show for the first time ever we're recording this in broad daylight and uh i'm not wearing pajamas it's really weird i don't know if you could like hear it if you can hear the professional clothing that i'm wearing today but uh i think it brings something a little snappy to the recording session i'm not really wearing professional clothing today because i worked from home does that count um I mean, it's not pajamas. It's not pajamas, so I'll give you that. In between. But I do have a cocktail, so that counts, right? Yeah. By cocktail, I definitely mean beer. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. I've got a whiskey cider, so I'm, like, closer to the cocktail spectrum. You are. (laughs) Casual 5 p.m. whiskey cider. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd like to note, it is after 5 o'clock in this time zone. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. (laughs) I bet you can buy a magnet that says that at Staples. (laughs) The paper We're not going to Staples until the B segment. (laughs) Spoiler alert! (laughs) I hate us. (laughs) Uh, So, this, uh, uh, this topic has been on our topical spreadsheet since the beginning. We always knew that we were going to talk about it at some point. And I guarantee that through the lifespan of Hate Watch, this will not be the only time that we talk about it um, in a longer form fashion. But uh, the timing of it was inspired by last week's conversation about catastrophe um, because (laughs) there was this really great incident where I was trying to get... um, some recaps and information of season two because I had only watched through season one. And between three different recappers, IMDb and Wikipedia, I could not get anything more meaningful than like the network description, which as we all know, network descriptions are not intended to be spoilers. And I was like, dude, I am actively trying to seek this information. And imagine if I had already seen the plot of the season and still needed this information. It was so frustrating. And so, here we are to talk about it. Here we are. (laughs) The internet failed you and you will get your revenge. The internet failed me. I blew a fucking gasket and then we scheduled this week's episode. (laughs) (laughs) Like you do. (laughs) At least we have our own therapy. Um, So, I'm coming into this thinking, uh, you know, like... Why do spoilers matter? Why is this such a hot-button issue? Um, Because it's a thing that people tend to have a very strong stance on. Um, When do spoilers matter or not? And how has spoiler culture altered the very fabric of our society? I also have a thought. (laughs) (laughs) I am prepared for this conversation. I'm really happy about your your thought. Um, underneath the spoiler header, I wrote, do people care anymore? And I think that's another place we can take this conversation at some point. I don't, I already have like a thousand questions about that worldview that you were presenting. So on that note, where do you want to start? 
It seems like you have more thoughts than I do. Um, I mean, I don't know that I have more. I probably have louder thoughts than you do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do let's do a brief primer on spoilers. Um, I don't know that I would consider myself a historian on spoiler culture, but it seems to me that spoiler culture sort of came about in the mid-2000s as internet recapping of television shows became a thing. And Twitter became a thing. And Twitter became a thing. And generally speaking, all of social media slash the internet became a thing. The more interconnected the world was, the more people had their narrative spoiled. And apparently their lives ruined by it. Right. So sort of through the evolution um, and learning process of people having their favorite narratives ruined and then feeling like they had gone into a despair spiral and had no way to salvage the broken remains of their life, the internet and people at large have, have seemed to shift the way that we talk about shared media experiences so that everything we say is coded at all times and or comes with lengthy disclosures so that people have the ability, at least I think, to be selective about, you know, how far into the weeds they go on any given property, lest they be spoiled. So you and I stand on two very different sides of this issue. For the sake of this conversation, I'm going to coin some terms. I'm going to make up my own vocabulary. Um, And I'm going to label you a, uh, I want to say a traditionalist, but I don't know that that captures it. A narrative purist? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're a purist. I don't know what that makes me. I'm bad you at corny vocabulary. You're like self-destructive <laughs> in your, in your like, and this is coming from a purist, obviously. <laughs> but like you like to spoil it on purpose and you like go seeking out this information and then we'll still watch it anyway. Which seems weird to me. Let's see. Maybe self-destructive is too far, but maybe not. <laughs> Um, what about, I'm thinking of, like, heat-seeking missiles. So what's an ist version of that? Like a seeker? That's boring. Are you a Hufflepuff? I I am. I'm a very good finder. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you said you were going to coin words, I thought you had words prepared. No, I was was thinking on the fly, but it it turns out it was a lot easier to make up names for you than for me. All right. We're going to go with seeker, I guess. But, like, aggressive seeker. Well, so let's let's take this a step back for the sake of the listening audience, which I realized recently is a redundant statement. At any rate, what we're really getting at here is a lifestyle choice. And so for people like Kelsey, which I'm sure many of you will relate to this um, because it seems to be the norm, spoilers are detrimental to the experience of engaging with a narrative or a text. And most people seem to be desiring the ability to, like, get through that whole narrative sight unseen so that they get to experience it for the first time over, which is sort of why I, I we have landed on purist, um, I guess, because that way you get the pure experience of the narrative. I think, like, to some extent, I'm a little more extreme than others, too, as in, like, I can't start a show or, like, watch an episode on TV halfway through, I have to start from the beginning. So even something that I'm, like, considering watching, if there's an episode on, I wouldn't ever just tune in and be like, I wonder what this is like. Hmm. Interesting. On the flip side of this, and I feel like there's more variation on the other end of the spectrum um, than there is on, like, the Puritan end, which I'm officially now going with Puritan. um, That's fair. Instead of purist. (laughs) I know where I'm from. The other end of the spectrum are people who can tolerate spoilers, and if you're like me, which I may also be somewhat more extreme, maybe even enjoy spoilers. So for me, the experience of being spoiled has exactly zero impact on my feeling about the narrative, my interpretation of the narrative, or my experience consuming that text. In fact, for my entire life, like as long as I could read long books... I, my thing was to read the first chapter, go and read the last page, and then continue reading. Oh, you're a monster. (laughs) Well, the last page rarely means anything unless you've gotten to the end of the book. So you were just doing it to be like that guy? Well, I mean, it would give me (laughs) hints. It just, like, Uh didn't have any inherent meaning on its own. But it, like... Give me something to hold on to. I don't like going through a narrative without having any sense at all of where it's going. Like, 
I don't like spending because I feel like all of my mental energy at that point goes to trying to figure out what is going to be important and meaningful and what isn't. And that's a really frustrating place for me to be in because I don't feel like I then have any focus for character development or themes or like any of the stuff in the narrative that actually matters. So for me, if I'm spoiled that I'm not seeing the text the way that it was intended to be viewed by the person who made it, like, so I would rather see it that way. And then, you know, I can go through and read whatever, like recaps or analysis would be helpful to maybe like deconstructing it a little bit. But I want to at least the first time experience it the way that it was meant to be experienced. That's interesting to me, because that that reads to me on the surface as being a strong value judgment. Um, and it, it calls into question, like... And I don't have strong values. <laughs> you have... <laughs> as long as I've known you, you have zero values. Uh, <laughs> you are a questionable character. <laughs> you gotta watch out for that Kelsey. She is shady as fuck. <laughs> um, it also calls into question for me, though, like... The experience of first-time watches versus rewatches, like, I think it's interesting to me that what you highlighted in that is that it takes away your ability to experience the text as intended. Um, and, you know, for, like, a lot of media theory reasons, depending on your school of thought, if, like, we want to go, like, super nerdy here, um, that's a little bit of a problematic way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have a couple of professors who would be really proud of that statement. I'm just going to throw it out there. Hashtag gloat. Um, so, so I don't know. I think it's interesting that, like, that what you're feeling is that it makes it hard for you to watch as intended. I guess for me, like, I have a lot of questions about that. How does that play in when you go back and rewatch it again? Because it seems to me that, like... That, like, if you're going back and watching it again, then I guess, in theory, you're not watching the text the way it's intended. And so, like, what's the value in rewatching? No, that's fair. I think knowing things about plot, because spoilers are almost always only about plot, distracts you a little bit when you watch it. So that's always in the back of your mind. And it's, like, what you're thinking of the whole time. Like, how are we going to get from A to B? And instead, if I'm just kind of going in with a blank slate, I can, I guess, just not, I can, A, make up my own sort of theories along the way about what could happen, which you don't really get the chance to do always, um, if you know the end. Uh, but also, I feel like I'm taking, I'm taking the bait on red herrings, I'm, like, looking, you know, for other things that are happening um, throughout the whole, um, watching, viewing experience. I don't know. And I'm just not always constantly thinking about what I already know about the ending. I'm just, you know, taking it for what it's worth at face value and seeing where that goes. That's so funny because based on that explanation alone, the reason that I like spoilers is exactly the same reason why you don't. Right. <laughs> and I hadn't actually thought of it that way yet. Really? Um, yeah, that had not actually occurred to me. That it's the yeah. exact same function, just opposite opposite ends of that spectrum, like different answer to that problem. Exactly. Um, it's I I really appreciate that you point out that spoilers are plot because my primary issue with spoilers and spoiler culture is that what we refer to as spoilers are literally just the fucking plot, and. You know, our friends at ATV just talked about this recently, and their stance is like a, a three-headed monster is that, uh, don't tell them I said that, is that <laughs> if, if surprises and spoilers are the only thing your narrative has to offer, then it's not a strong narrative. And I think that's like a fair stance, but I would boil it down even further and say like, I'm trying not to frame this judgmentally because what I want to say is really mean. If you're Just be mean. It's our podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. Is that like, if your only way of engaging with the content is to be surprised by what is cut and dry plot, like you can't change the plot of a text. You can change how you feel about it, but you can't change the plot. So if your only way of engaging with the plot is to be surprised by it, 
I don't put that on the narrative. I put that on the consumer and the meaning that they are putting on that text. I think it's a little bit of both, but I don't disagree with you. I think, like, to what they called out as a perfect example being Game of Thrones, like, I think that is partly on the people making that show, but that's an argument for another time. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have a lot of thoughts in August or whenever that show comes back. July. Yeah, the summer's going to be lit. Yeah, I think that you are right that plot is is never really the only reason to watch a show unless you're watching like a primetime CBS sitcom or something. But usually I guess that's, that's, I guess what I would be hung up on if I knew what the ending would be. And I would miss out on the other things that are happening, you know, like all the weird like film things or uh, pieces of, you know, acting performances and stuff like that, that you, um, that are all obviously important to the text. But how do you miss out on that just by knowing that, like, a character dies unexpectedly or, you know, knowing the ending of a plot in general? Well, because that's just what you're watching it for, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Like, I guess, but the whole point of narrative in general is that the plot is just a vehicle for everything else. And so, like, like I, I don't know that I can wrap my head around the argument that if you suddenly know the end of the plot, then you're not paying as much attention to the artistic choices because the plot is just the vehicle through which to do the artistic things. Yes. I, I mean, I think it's I think it's a personal preference thing. I don't think it's like a... I don't think that you necessarily are missing out on the artistic quality of the show because you know the end of it. I think that I am because that's just how I'm viewing it. Well, right. But that's what I'm trying to drill down into. I want to understand your inner wiring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think part of it too is just like the, I don't want to say fear, but like apprehension of like, what if this goes away that I really don't want it to go in? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I don't really feel like watching something that I enjoy anymore. So like if I knew that the Americans ends, and I'm wildly speculating, um, with like both of them going back to Russia and living their life or whatever and like taking their kids with them and it's like a horrible existence for them or, you know, whatever. If I knew like something happened that was not what I want to happen, maybe I would stop watching it. But the fact that I don't know... You know, I'm just as in the dark as in the dark as everyone else, so I don't mind like continuing to put in the time and effort of like watching that show every week. That's so funny because in that scenario it reads to me as wasted time. Like if I I I don't watch the Americans, I need to, but I haven't gotten into it yet. I read a lot of the not necessarily the recaps, but like some of the broader think pieces about it. I've definitely yeah. read. But like if I got all the way through it and that story arc happened, and that was not a story arc that I was interested in, and I hadn't seen it coming, I feel like I would get to that finale or, like, whatever point at which they would reveal that information and be like, so you fucking strung me along all this time for that? I mean, I've certainly, I don't know that I can think of one offhand, but I've certainly had that experience with other narratives where I didn't see the ending I didn't want coming, and I was like, well, then what the fuck was I sitting here for? That wasn't what I wanted. Well, yeah, but you don't hate the whole, like, piece of work at that point, right? Like, you still like it up to a certain point, and then you don't. I guess, like, when I go into watching a show, I usually go in by, you know, like, by the first few episodes, I know, like, I am definitely going to invest in this all the way through, or I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't usually, like, go halfway and then drop something. And even when I do, I tend to pick it up again. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I ever really just drop something unless I hate it. So I don't know if that helps or not <laughs> with my explanation. Well, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit at odds with what you're saying because what you're saying is, like, you tend to be in it to win it, but also you feel like you run the risk of, like, spoilers just causing you to disengage. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, those two things are just, like, at odds. No, I don't think they are. Tell me more about that. Like, is it... So, I guess, like, to your to your question, if we back up a little bit, to yeah. your question about, like, whether or not that would make me hate the text overall, 
Yes. If I got to an ending and felt like the ending, and again, I can't think of an example, but I know I've had this happen. If I got to an ending and felt like it was the wrong ending or it was an ending that didn't sort of wrap up the thematic path I thought a narrative was going down or like, you know, whatever, um, didn't prove the point about the characters I thought it was trying to prove, like, take your pick, then yes, I do feel like I spent the entire text being lied to in some form. Like, I take that very personally. If I know where a story is going, whether I know from the beginning or from partway through or like whatever point I get spoiled at, if I know where that's going, then I am more likely to complete the thought exercise of understanding how that ending supports the narrative and the underlying theme, even if I don't agree with it. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think, so I think an example maybe of a time I was spoiled and it sort of made a weird experience for me was when, so I knew about like the ending of How I Met Your Mother, which is very contentious, obviously, um, like years before I actually watched the show. And first of all, because it was so just like everyone hated it, I didn't even want to watch it for a long time. Um, and finally, when I did start to watch it, I, I always had that in my mind of like, oh, well, the mom dies, so it doesn't really matter. And so even when you were going through and being like, oh, is it her? Is it her? Or whatever. Like, it just kind of took away from that. And then I also knew that people were just dissatisfied with it. So every time we got, you know, closer and closer to the end of the series, I was just prepared to be disappointed the whole time. And I, I mean, I think there were some nuggets of good in that last season, but I feel like I was just, I knew I was being set up to fail. And I also knew like how, how it ended. And I, I don't know. I don't know. If... But that seems to me to be a reflection of the broader issues at play with how I met your mother in particular. And I think like often that there is that interplay that like an unsatisfactory ending is actually like a reflection of broader flaws in the writing or the narrative itself. Um, my sense, even though I have a spotty, spotty history with the series, but my sense is it was a similar thing with Lost. But like, to, to me, what I hear from you in that is that like, disappointment comes from the ending of How I Met Your Mother, like, broadly speaking, not being strong, like that show was being produced far beyond its useful life which has impacts on the quality in your relationship with the characters and whatever. And then on top of that, having a couple of weak seasons and then having the fucked up ending that it did. Right. Like, I feel like that that just, like, pour salt in the wound. Well, yeah, and you know that every time, like, you see growth in Ted, it's not actual growth, like, through the whole series. Right. So I think, like, had I not known that, I think I would have gone into it with a different outlook, I would have, I don't know, maybe looked past some of the things. But all of those things, like that, that let's take that point about Ted in particular, like, that is still true about Ted and the narrative, whether you knew that ahead of time or not. Right, but I think... And that is still apparent to you on the rewatch, whether you knew that the first time through or not. Right. So is Well, it... the rewatch is like a different story altogether, but... I think had I not been sort of, like, I was watching it with, you know, like, someone else made me watch it, basically, not, like, forcibly, but, like, was, like, saying, let's sit <laughs> down basically. and watch the show. Had it not been that scenario, I don't think I ever would have watched it because I knew about the ending. Had I not known the ending and knew, you know, that people had enjoyed it at a time, I probably would have picked it up sooner. But wouldn't it have still been, like, dissatisfactory? Well, yeah, but I would have enjoyed... And not that I don't enjoy How I Met Your Mother, but I would have enjoyed um, some of that journey towards the end, especially, especially like the very end, a little bit more than I did, I think. Eh. I mean, I'm a little biased there. I actually am still not 100% sure that I ever finished How I Met Your Mother, which I know doesn't sound real. I think I did, but I, I don't know for sure. And I think a lot of that is because the last couple seasons were pretty painful, so I think I just like blacked out. Yeah. So, like, I might be coming at it from a little bit of a bias where, like, trying to get through that show, like, I've used this in previous episodes, but, like, felt like I was forcing myself to press play using a cattle prong. Like, it was torturous. Similarly with The Office. The Office, though, yeah. 
the only reason I got through it is because everyone, like, it was years, years and years and years before I finally got through the end of The Office. Um, Like, I had dropped out in the first couple episodes of season seven. So there was, like, a lot of The Office that I had nothing to do with for years. And everyone kept telling me that if I just went back and watched the finale, it would make it all worth it for me and, like, it would make up for everything that the series did wrong in its last couple seasons and whatever. And I had multiple failed attempts at getting through the last two seasons um, because I, like, the same pattern would happen where I would start a rewatch of the whole series so that it would be linear by the time I got to the end. And I would get, like, most of the way through season six and start to be like, I don't know that I can take this anymore. And then I'd hit season seven and be like, I definitely can't take this anymore. So the the failed attempts alone took another couple years. And then I think it was this fall that I finally saw the finale. And the only reason I got there at all is because parts of it were spoiled for me. Um, like I knew about um, Michael Scott coming back and I knew that it was like warm hugs and kisses and like everyone was happy and full of rainbows and whatever. So I only did it to get to the finale and feel like the finale had purpose. The finale didn't make up for the rest of it. I'm still not glad that I made it through all of it. (laughs) It did not make up for the sins of the final three seasons. But I only got there because I knew ahead of time what was coming for me. I think we just have opposite viewpoints on on this. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't expect that, like, we're going to come to a consensus. It's just interesting to me... Um, because people do feel so strongly about it and it is so deeply intertwined with how we understand narrative and like how we understand interacting with the text and like you know I think to your earlier point that like if it's spoiled ahead of time then you find yourself getting distracted by red herrings and like it's harder to make your own theory like I have those same feelings when I walk into a narrative with no sense of where it's going, especially if the narrative is purposefully trying to be murky, like Game of Thrones or, I don't know, like your average your average movie, let's be real. Mm-hmm. Even Catastrophe, like I'm trying to think of shows we talked about recently, and there's one in particular I'm trying to get back to. Like watching network dramas, which I do with some frequency is really difficult for me because they just zigzag all the fuck over the place. And if you're watching it in real time, I have no way to see what where they're going. And especially when you're watching a series that that is network and doesn't have an expiration date, like it's intended to go just as long as it can, you know that the showrunners don't necessarily have an, have an endpoint in their brain. Like they don't necessarily have right. the end of the narrative because they're just waiting to see how long this thing lasts. And that is so fundamentally deeply frustrating to me as a human because I want to know what the fucking point of this is. But why should you know ahead of time? I think I think for me the meat of all of it is is in understanding the point from the viewpoint of the the creator of the text whether that be a showrunner, a director, a producer, like whatever. Understanding what the the fundamental point is. And then understanding my take. I think, like, plot, to me, is kind of a giant nothing. It's just the skeleton upon which everything is built. And I I get very little out of general plot and a great deal out of all of the things that fill in the plot. Mm-hmm. I don't like the feeling of having to be dragged along to find out what comes next because I'm not trying to live in the moment. I don't really care what comes next. I want to know what the overall point of all of this is. I mean, do you think any of it has to do with the fact that I think in, like, overall quantity, I think I watch more, like, real, in real time shows than you do? Like, you tend to watch bingeable, like, full seasons or already existing shows versus something that's, like, currently on the air week to week. Yeah, I mean, I would, I think there's definitely a correlation there. I would flip it and say that um, it's the opposite causation. So I would say, like, I, um, because I like spoilers, I don't like watching in real time because I don't have any way to access the endpoint. And because you don't like spoilers, it's better for you to be watching in real time because there's no risk 
or right. limited risk. Like, if I decide I want to watch something that's currently on the air, like, I will catch up as quickly as possible to avoid as many spoilers as possible. Right. I mean, I think I watch more per day than you do, too. Yes. <laughs> I think there's a little bit more of, like, a... I don't want to say free time. That's just how I tend to use more of my time. Right, right. No, you definitely so I don't, don't mind, have more like, free time than me. <laughs> no. But I mean, like, I don't... I don't feel like I'm wasting my time by watching something that ends up not... You know, that I don't know the ending to, I guess. Right. Well, but I think I think there's, like... I don't think this is fundamental, necessarily, but I think one interesting thing that I have now said a couple times um, that I'm picking up on is that I care a lot about point. Like... I don't want to beat around the bush. I want to know what the purpose of watching is. Um, so I go into watching with a reason. And I don't, it's, I don't mean to like make a judgment or reflect improperly, but it seems like that is not as of as much importance to you. Like you're not necessarily walking into something with assumptions or expectations. No, I mean, I'm, I'm walking into it knowing that like X number of people have talked about it and said it's good. But that's not the same as going in and saying, like, okay, what is the point of me watching this show? Right, right. So I'm going to ask a question because it informs a theory I've been working on. Oh, boy. Some armchair psychology. Generally speaking, do you like surprises? Do I like surprises? Yeah. Do you like, like, surprise gifts or surprise parties? Yeah, Or, like, sure. general unexpected things? Yeah. So, I mean, this does not a scientific sample make, but right. I don't. Um, like in life I don't like surprises of pretty much any kind but you Um, like being a part of surprises let's include that there well I like surprising other people right because in that scenario I still know stuff right (laughs) I'm not so worried about what other people know I'm very worried about what I know (laughs) (laughs) but yes tell me more yeah so my theory is that there's a a broader human trend that like people probably fall into generalized categories of like, if they like spoilers, they probably like surprises in general. And if they don't like spoilers, they don't like surprises because yeah, in my experience, like there, there are some like very deep and fundamental, like personality quirks and like coping skills. And there's like a lot wrapped up in the experience of surprise Mm-hmm. And some people really thrive on it. And for some people, it's a trigger or like it's uncomfortable or whatever. And for me, I'm someone who really likes to see things coming. I'm a planner. I like a lot of warning. I like to mentally brace myself for stuff. And so surprises of any kind are a little disconcerting for me because I don't feel like I have that control or like that knowledge of the world around me. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I then have to adjust to, like, a new understanding of the universe. <laughs> Here is my new universe now that a character has been killed by Game of Thrones. Yeah, with no warning. Like, in, in the universe I understood before, this character was still alive. Guess so. Now what? So, yeah, like, again, like, armchair psychology, like, I wonder how much... There's some extent to which, and I think I think about this more broadly than just spoilers, but, like, your basic human psychology plays into how you consume texts and, like, what that narrative does for you. What a thesis idea. <laughs> like a Seth on our subreddit. Don't. Please. <laughs> I don't know what that's turned into. <laughs> I have sort of two, two smaller things that I want to touch on before we wrap this up. And... I don't know that we've really answered your question of, like, do people care anymore? Well, I mean, I think that's a, a bigger thing to discuss. Fair enough. But we, we do not need to go there today. Um, but are there times when spoilers don't matter as much? Like, what makes them matter? I think it's a couple things. I think if it's a real-time event, like a sports event, <laughs> there's no such thing as spoilers there because it happened. Although, I might counter that. I, I don't watch sports. I don't do the sports ball in any any form. But I definitely know people who will say, like, you know, don't tell me anything about the game. I've DVR'd it and I'm going to watch it when I get home from work. But, like, who are you doing that? I, there are people. I think it's weird because, like, half of the point 
of watching sports is the social element of it, right? So you're either with people or you're going to talk about it later or whatever. So if you're behind and you're like telling other people don't talk about the relevant, timely sports ball, <laughs> like who are you? Like just read Twitter. Like the point of Twitter, half of the point is for sports coverage. Like yeah. I think that's one example. Like it's not a it's not a planned narrative that is scheduled to be at a certain time and be dispensed in a certain way every week or whatever. Like, it is a live thing that no one knows how it will end when it starts normally unless it's rigged. <laughs> so there's that's not like a, that's not a spoiler. So I what you're say. really talking about then is like media events at large. Right. Like media events being um, scheduled blocks of media time covering a pre-announced thing, but a thing that is happening live. Right. I would say that I'm reality TV even probably doesn't count. It could count. I can understand where people would say, like, I don't want to know who gets voted off or whatever, but I think that, like, yeah. is a lesser I was going to say there's, like, a very deep, like, spoiler culture around, like, Survivor and The Bachelor. Well, right. But for I'm I'm just telling you for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. <laughs> like in my world, I don't I mean, I also don't really care that much about reality TV unless it's The Great British Bake Off and So like, that's what I was just going to throw at you is like uh we talked about this since Great British Bake Off came back to Netflix, but like you definitely care about the spoilers there. And actually, as much as I don't care about spoilers, like I have some hesitance in reality TV in general, which, again, I don't watch a whole lot, but I do have some hesitance about getting spoiled there because in my experience, if I know, like, on Great British Bake Off, if I know a baker is going home that episode, every time they're on screen, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Know that my heart goes out to you wherever (laughs) you are, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm watching that one on Netflix, and so, like, even you'll see in the episode preview, like, who's in the little picture. It's, mm. I think it's harder to avoid spoilers like that because it'll be discussed or it'll be somewhere. And it's not the end of the world to me because, well, also because I'm behind on that show. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's my fault for not, you know, for not knowing. Yep. So it sounds like there's an element of timeliness, which, yes. like, I think... I've alluded to that before because as much as I am pretty flippant about spoilers, I know other people aren't. So I've tried to implement a six month rule here where like media older than six months, I have no regard for it. But under the six month window, I try to be careful. And then there's an element of like personal preference. So like whether or not you sure. care about the property, like if yeah. you don't, if you're not invested in the property, then you don't give a shit. Yes and no. I mean, I think, well, yes, but if I, for me, like if I, if I think I could be invested in the property, I don't want to know just in case. <laughs> well, right. I guess I meant more broadly. Like, yes, you know, yes, you don't yes. like reality TV in general. So, like, if reality TV gets spoiled for you, you're never going to be that worried about it. Well, right. And also it's a presumably live, not live in the time that they're airing it, but it was, like, a thing that happened to real people, I guess is what I'm saying, mm, versus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. versus a fictionalized text. And then there's an element of context. So it's like, to your point about like the sports ball, like whether or not the thing is intended to happen in real time or like if it's like scheduled and you're supposed to be in the journey of the narrative as you are with serialized television. Right. It's interesting to me that you bring up real people, which I know you were saying a little bit off the cuff, but in the context of the recently released podcast, S-Town. Yep. S-Town. Shit Town. Shit Town. When Pop Culture Happy Hour covered it, they, I think, very rightly said that they hesitate. Um, I think Margaret Willison, actually from ATV, said this. Very rightly said that they felt uncomfortable referring to it as spoilers because these were real humans and this was happening in real life. Yeah. And I, like, that has stuck with me over the last couple weeks and definitely ran through my mind as I was listening to S-Town. But I wonder, like, more broadly where that plays into, like, people's general comfort level with spoilers. Yeah. And I think, like, at my office, when everyone was listening to that two weeks ago, um, we were sort of like, what episode did you get to? And then we would talk about it. And it's more just, like, you know, because people are in different places and have been exposed to different pieces of it. It wasn't 
I don't know, it wasn't so much, like, a spoiler thing, and I think also, like, with bingeable content that gets dropped all at once, you have to sort of just do that temperature check to be like, yeah. how far are you? And it, Because, like, it's possible that you could have watched the whole thing, it's possible that you could have watched or listened to, like, one or two of them, but I think you're, like, once that's out, like, you were in the range to be spoiled. Yeah. I and mean, it's on you to catch up. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm, you know, like, it's my responsibility to either watch it or avoid the spoilers. It's not my responsibility to not talk about it. So two questions. Hopefully I remember both of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that comes to mind, and, like, I might be off base in saying this, is that it seems to me that bingeable content, as you're saying, like, content that's dropped all at once, is... Um, seems to be, like, the biggest change to spoiler culture at large, right? Like, yeah. to your point that, like, you have to take a temperature check and you have to make sure that, like, people have caught up because when you have something scheduled, you know what timeline people are on roughly. But when, it, you know, House of Cards drops in a weekend, some people have been able to watch the whole thing, like you and I, in two days. And some mm-hmm. people don't get to it for three weeks. And so what's the acceptable lag time there um, when you know, a bunch of people are stoked about it and want to talk about it, but not everyone has caught up. And to your point, like, whose responsibility is that, really? Since you are asking the question of responsibility, it's interesting to me that um, that you would put more responsibility on the consumer in the case of bingeable media than in the case of, like, scheduled, like, content, like, scheduled television. And I guess my question is, like, why why do you think it's more on the individual to figure that out and get caught up? in the case of, you know, a binge watch than in the case of, like, a serialized, like, network thing. I mean, I think part of it is ease of access, right? Like, if you know you have Netflix and you know the date that it's coming out, like, there's no reason... There are reasons why you can't watch it, I'm sure, but, like, you have that information ahead of time often. I think, like, if you're watching... Or if, you you know, if you're watching something that is more of, like, a serialized, like, weekly program, like, I think... Yes, you know it's on, but maybe, you know, maybe you, you know, it's more of a thing that you have to be in one place at one time, I guess is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. presumably, or like you have to watch TBR. So I think you get a little bit more of a leeway, like not even a lot, but just like that maybe like plus 24 hours to watch it when you want to. And it's also the fact that like maybe you don't have access to previous seasons of that show and you don't, you know, whatever that may be. But I think... With, like, I think one of the ways that people have gotten around the bingeable media, like, sort of talking about it, but not talking about it on Twitter has been, like, they'll use sort of coded references. And if you know it, you know exactly what they're talking about. And if you're not cut up yet, like, it's structured in a way that you wouldn't really pick up on it. I kind of call bullshit on that. I feel like, like, 70% of the time I can read through the code and be like, all right, I see what you're getting at. Just tell me the thing. Well, yeah, but we're, like, smarter than... (laughs) A lot of the lay people on Twitter is what I'm saying. Fair enough. Smarter than all the bots. Yeah. So many bots. (laughs) Um, So it brings me back to the question that you asked, because I I do think it's an interesting one whether or not we can answer it today. Mm -hmm. But, like, talk to me more about whether or not people care anymore. Well, I think, like, this was, like, you said it was a hot button issue, but I think it was a hotter button issue, like, four years ago, Mm -hmm. um, when people, A, were just trying to figure out what bingeable media was and what to do with it. Um, They, like, DVR was new, like, Nielsen was probably, like, just starting to record DVR ratings and not just live ratings, Um, and maybe it's more than four years ago. So when I think about, like, that time, it was, like, a lot of people would just kind of say whatever they wanted, and they also kind of didn't really know how the internet worked as well. And I think that since then, it's sort of been, like, everyone sort of knows how to act a little bit better, at least, um, and also knows how to avoid things better, right? Mm -hmm. So they know, like, you can mute words on Twitter or hashtags if you don't want to see something, and that's something that, like, regular people do. I didn't know that. That they didn't know about. Yeah. I still didn't know that until right now. That's fine. I'm not judging you. (laughs) See, now you know things. Now I know things. Um, But I I think there's, so there's more tools like the mute function. There's more people know how to use it. And I think more people are just a little bit more sensitive because everyone's been spoiled at this point at least once. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's, I think that people, people care, but they don't care quite as much because they know how to deal with it better. Well, it sounds 
to me, like, it's not really whether or not people care about spoilers, but it's, like, whether or not spoiling is an issue. Right. Like, I think it used to be a little bit more, like, malicious yeah. at one point. Like, people would talk about things. And it'd be, like, on Facebook, too, which was weird to me in general. Well, um, for example, what's what's the Bruce Willis movie? Like, The Sixth Sense or some shit? Yeah, yeah. Like, old school reference. I love it. It is a very old school reference, but the reason I bring it up is because it is still referenced to this day. Like, there is still popular culture that is being created to this day that makes a joke about finding out that, well, I I, I won't do it, but finding out the thing about Bruce Willis. Right. Um, Even though that movie came out in the 90s. Yep. And so it seems like really the secret to spoiler culture was developing a culture, like a language as a society and a process as a society, so that people could navigate being able to consume media on their own terms. Right. So it's more of like an opt-in and opt-out than it once was, where it was like forced into your feeds. Although I will say on the flip side of that, I find myself in situations like I did last week with Catastrophe where fucking spoiler culture built so many goddamn firewalls that I needed the information and couldn't find it anywhere. So I would say, as a non-Puritan, a (laughs) non-content Puritan, (laughs) um, that spoiler culture has made it harder for people who do need the information, which is good for the people who don't want it, like, it protects that end of the spectrum, and, like, if the burden of responsibility is on people like me to find the information that they do want, then like fine. But it is frustrating when you want it and can't find it because everyone is being such a gatekeeper. Yeah, I mean, that was a weird one too, because that's, it's not new. Like I would almost understand like season three being kept a little bit under wraps because the Amazon drop hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. But that one was weird because everyone can access it. They've been able to access it for a year. I don't know what the problem was. Just my damn I think life. maybe no one's just taking the time to spoil it properly. Maybe that's your calling. <laughs> I'll start a consultant firm um, on spoiling <laughs> popular culture. <laughs> I would be super into that. I would have a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I would want you to have like a hotline to call. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Do you have any sort of final remarks, final thoughts? I don't think so. Great. Well, if you <laughs> have, have any... Like, no. Okay, moving on. And goodbye. If you have any thoughts or feelings on spoiler, spoiler culture, um, or any anecdotes that you would like to share, you can find us on Twitter at HateWatchWithUs, or you can find us on Gmail, HateWatchWithUs at gmail.com. Perfect. Please send us things. Send us so many things. So far, like, two bots have liked random tweets, but we only have two followers. So sad. Also, as of today, since the last time I checked analytics, we have 100 downloads. So I know y'all are out there. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. We like you all a lot. We do. So uh, with our last couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. Do uh, do we want to do some, some decompression exercises with everyone's favorite analogs? Yeah, we do. So... Uh, anecdote for you. This week, I needed to get a new notebook. And um, this is the thing that his, it doesn't happen super regularly in my life, because for the most part, I've had good systems in place. Um, But long story short, over the last year, I've had some job changes and some shit has been a little wonky. And so my like note taking system in particular has been completely thrown off. And that's just like a really hard place to be in when you're someone like me who likes binders and tabs and notebooks and order and color coding as much as I do. So I was at the office supply store and I texted Kelsey in a panic because I couldn't figure out what kind of notebook to buy. And let me tell you what ensued. (laughs) I'm at work and she's like, oh, what do I buy? I don't know. Do I buy a custom set or do I buy separate section notebooks? And so she's Snapchatted me pictures of the options at the office supply store. And then we went through the pen (laughs) options. And then we went through the pros and cons of these options. I, like, I believe eventually a purchase was made, but I hate a really aggressive purchase experience. was made. 
I like, though, that you're saying this with, like, this air of, like, oh, what a hay watch. As if you weren't the one to initiate the message in Slack that said, snap me the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just need entertainment while you're eating lunch. It's fine. (laughs) Hate watching is part joy, part hate, I would like to remind you. (laughs) It's so real. So... Um, so what ended up happening was I ended up buying a custom notebook system. Um, it is a proprietary system owned by an office supply store. Are we protecting their identity for a reason? Well, we're not going to get sponsored by Office Max because we said staples. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay. But like, I spend a lot of money at staples and if they wanted to sponsor me, I want to do as much as I can to make sure that they will do that. But I'm not going to advertise for them for free because then bitches are going to be like oh you'll talk about me no matter what because you live there all right so <laughs> kirstie was shopping at dunder mifflin so <laughs> which has become so a box I was, store i was at dunder mifflin box store the paper people's paper people and <laughs> <laughs> i ended up buying a custom system where it's these like plastic rings and the paper has these little notches and you like plug them into the little notches and you can like rearrange tabs and stuff. And I built one that's like partially a year long planner and partially um, a five, no, a 10 tab notebook. And it's a monster. Like I should not be bringing the shit to meetings. Um, Actually, a coworker made fun of me because I pulled it out of my work bag and she was like, are you bringing that to meetings? Because the cool thing to do at my organization, at least, is to have very small legal pads. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, the broader topic of stationery and office supplies. The reason that I like to have a multi-tab notebook and why this was such a point of contention when I went to buy this office supply this time around is because my work uh, is multi-sectored, I suppose. Um, And so I like to be able to separate my notes and meetings by topic area. And if I can't do that, then I can't keep track of like anything ever. there's also a fair amount of my job that's, like, really taking place a year to a year and a half from now, but is the hard work is happening right now, which is why my notebook is half planner and half notebook, because, like, time is not a real construct when you work for government. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, I know, I happen to know you just use, like, a moleskin, right? hmm So talk to me about that, because that, like, that is such... That is, like, so disorganized and lacks order in a way that makes me anxious. Well, I think, so my office culture is very, like, printout-oriented. As we Um, talked about that one time I yelled at Kelsey for printing out emails. I have not printed out an email. Someone else was printing emails (laughs) at your workplace, if I recall correctly, but yes. Uh, And Um, when I told you that, you disclosed that you had printed an email just that very day. Oh, yeah, but it was for a reason. Anyway, um, very paper-oriented, very, like, handout-oriented. So when I go to meetings, I often use the handouts for my notes. It's rare that there isn't a handout, and that would be the time that I would actually use, like, my moleskin. But for the most part, I'm really just taking the handouts, and I have a file system on my desk for, like, different topic areas, and that's what I'm using. And then I have a planner that I rely on a lot more that has some, like, action item areas for to-do lists. So then when you're going to the office supply store, um, so you've got your notebook, your handouts, your file system, and your planner. Mm-hmm. So what and are post-its. You, and your post-its, sorry. I'm glad to find someone who likes post-its as much as I do. I get maybe Especially large size post-its, but really all sizes are important for different things. So this is an interesting thing about nonprofit sector. Nonprofits really fucking like their flip chart, and it's like a joke among anyone who works in the nonprofit sector. So like we use big flip chart, we use big sticky notes, we use medium-sized sticky notes, we use little sticky notes. Like, we're all very well-versed in adhesive paper. It's important. (laughs) It is extremely important. Um, So I appreciate that you, a private sector employee, um, also have an appreciation of sticky notes. (laughs) I do. Um, So when you go to the office supply store, uh, what are your priorities typically? So I don't... When you're in the private sector, you don't go to the office supply store. You go on, like, 
the online ordering and you tell someone else to buy it for you. Oh, well then. <laughs> so let that be known that you basically live in a world of unlimited money. I buy, buy all my supplies. office supplies out of pocket. So Ugh. I did buy my planner out of pocket. Um, That's good. But well, mainly... okay. So to be fair, I don't buy all of my supplies out of pocket. I do have a small budget for general office supplies, but because my office supply needs are like very specific and like very honed, I don't ask my employer to pay for all of them. That's fair. Yeah. Like my planner was a little gratuitous. So that's why I did it Yeah, myself. But I think, so part of it is that I don't really like loose leaf paper. So that's why I prefer like the moleskin type of notebook because it all sticks in there and nothing gets lost and doesn't get messy and gross. Because if I have loose leaf paper, like I will rip it out all the time and use it. So I use like a regular notepad for things that can be thrown away. And then the moleskin is for things that need to be saved. Oh, interesting. So when you talk about loose leaf, are you talking about like a, a spiral ring binder, like a five star binder or like yeah. a binder with perforated edges or a notebook, I guess? I mean, yeah, either or. Okay, that's interesting. So I used to be a five-star notebook, a five-section, five-star notebook devotee. And for the first year or so in the position I'm in now, that was the only notebook I used. And then I started playing around with different things. The biggest challenge I had with spiral-bound notebooks is that there's no flexibility there. And so there was always one section that I used more of than the other. Mm -hmm. So how do you overcome that in the current system that you have? I mean... I don't have sections in my notebook, so I guess well, right, I don't have but that like, clearly, clearly you have different needs within your notebooks. Like you have one that's terrible content and one that is like content that needs to be saved. So like, talk to me about that system a little bit more. Like the stuff in your moleskin, is that like being archived for posterity? Yeah. I mean, it's general like things that I should keep in case I need to refer back to them. So anything that has any kind of longevity and then I'll just put that notebook on my shelf when it's done and like leave it there. Mm -hmm. Anything that's on like a notepad is literally going to be put in the recycle bin. Like it's like work, like math work or things like that, but I do Uh, more than I'd like to say. So it's like Um, a scribble pad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I actually did buy a gumball notebook that I keep inside my bigger notebook. I bought that um, when I, when I changed jobs in the summer um, I bought myself a little scribble notebook and I looked at it for the first time today in a very long time. And it's unintelligible. It's thoughts that meant something at the time that I gumballed them into it. <laughs> um, but like really should have been ripped out and thrown away for all the good they mm. do me now. So here's a conversation we had when I was at the office supply store. Uh, talk to me about pens and your pen preferences and how you know a good pen. So my pen preferences are... Um, Papermate flares in a variety of colors and in black. These are more like marker pens. Uh, They're fairly fine pointed, but not too fine pointed. And they come in a lot of fun colors. And then I use Bic Velocity pens in blue for my like everyday pen needs. How do I tell quality? Uh, Or like what what makes a pen enjoyable to you? um, For a traditional pen, it's... I don't like pens that have caps. It should be a clickable pen um, so that you don't lose parts of it. Uh, I prefer blue colored pens, but that's Me just too. a personal thing. Um, I like it to have a little bit of a grippy on it, but it has to be the right material. It can't be like gooey and sticky. Um, do you it like it to be... be a noticeably different grip or do you like the coating of the whole pen to be grippable? Uh, I like it to be different. Okay. And... Um, I prefer ones that are like a little bit jellier Mm -hmm. and less regular pen like, I guess. Um, (laughs) but what are your pen preferences? So I am still trying to find my one true pen. Um, I've been through a lot of different pens and a lot of people in my organization, interestingly, have like very strong opinions about pens. And so I've had the good fortune of trying out many. Um... Right now, my favorite are the Papermate Inkjoy. The problem with Papermate Inkjoy is that there's a couple different kinds. And so the ones that I like have a little bit of a softer, um, like, finish on them, like on the whole body of the pen. Um, Mm -hmm. And they they come in a giant color pack um, because I like to color code my notes as I write. Um, Oftentimes when I'm taking notes in in a meeting, I'm not taking minutes. I'm just writing down, like... Like, I'm just dumping my thoughts on, into my notebook, and so I have to color code them. Um, so uh, 
I I fidget a lot and pens tend to be my fidget toy. And so I really like clickable pens, although people around me hate it. <laughs> um, I had actually, uh, I had a set of pop-in pens that were my favorite for a really long time, but the ink runs out too fast. And so that's really annoying, but they're my favorite because they're a good balance of clickable. And then they have a tiny thing on the top, um, a little cap that screws off. And so if I was annoying people with my clicking, I could just unscrew it and rescrew it in meetings. And then that way people weren't paying attention to me like clicking. Ah. Um, I did get blue ink all over my hands though. Not great. <laughs> Not great. It's a huge tell. Um, the Papermate flares don't ink on your hands as much when you unscrew the little cap, but they do a little bit. Um, the Papermate flares def or flares ink joy definitely have the smoothest gel ink. They're a gel type pen. Um, yeah. I prefer roller balls over felt tips. Interestingly, so this is a sensory input thing because I have some like weird sensory quirks, um, but felt tips to me feel really like rigid and hard. And because they feel rigid, it makes me feel tense when I write with them. <laughs> it's like, it's a thing. Um, so I'm experimenting right now with a set of felt tips. I had Papermate flares last year, didn't love them because they were way too dry. And it just like really made that rigid thing like intense. So I'm experimenting right now with, um, sh is it Sharpie? I think it's Sharpie mm -hmm. um, intensity marker pens. So they're very fine point felt tip pens. Um, I'm doing okay with them. Like I kind of like them, although my handwriting looks terrible in them. And generally speaking, my preference goes to any pen that makes my handwriting look good. Interesting. Um, my boss uses... Staples, Uniball, something pens. Um, I can't remember what they're called, but like they're a very specific type of rollerball gel ink pen. And they're amazing and I love them, but I refuse to buy them for reasons that are not clear to me. <laughs> I don't like writing with them all the time. It's like when I get to write with them, sometimes I enjoy them, but like I don't want that to be my primary pen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've had some rollerball pens that are, like, also really rigid. Like, I don't like rollerballs that aren't, like, smooth or that are too fine or, like, I really like um, pens that produce, like, a good amount of ink without smudging. Like, I don't like dry pens. And yeah. There are a lot of rollerball pens um, that I've gotten in lots of different colors to color code my notes that are, like, way too dry and way too rigid. What do you think our drop-off rate is going to be for this section of the podcast? What, our job offering? No, our drop-off rate. <laughs> I mean, I think, generally speaking, people care a lot about their stationery, right? <laughs> I think this is an opportunity for the audience to hate-watch us. Yes, fair enough. Last question, form over function. Would you rather have pretty office supplies or, like, your dream in terms of organization and feel office supply? Uh, organization. Okay. What about I, you? I think I would, well, I say this, but I clearly, based on my shopping trip this week, did not make this choice. Um, I think I'd rather have the pretty office supply. That's why you like the pop-in line so much. I, I love the pop-in line. My problem with most pretty office supplies, though, is that most, most of them have, like, inspirational quotes on them or Ugh. are, like, ultra-feminine, but in a way that, like, I'm not into, like, uh, like, what is it? Cynthia Rowley, I think, makes a line of office supplies that are, like, floral, but they're, like, navy blue and, like, really dark floral, so it's not pretty. And I'm like, mm. just because you made this, like, female-friendly and floral does not mean it's pretty. I do try to buy office supplies that match the color of my organization. Hmm. That sucks. Is a... I'm sorry to hear that. No, I mean, it, it actually works. Okay. I got a really cute planner at Target um, this year that did match. <laughs> uh, I just like to be on brand all the time. <laughs> wow. So. <laughs> wow. Now that we've killed a solid 16 minutes on our favorite types of notebooks. 
so this this seems to me from just being a human on this earth to be a thing that people care deeply about. I know my boss has said that he makes sure he keeps his specific type of pen in stock at all times because he can't function without it. Um, so if this is a thing that you also have strong feelings about, we definitely do. So feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HateWatchWithUs or send us your shopping list to our Gmail account which is hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. We're not going to buy it for you. But you can no, at least but we'll shamelessly promote whatever product you tell us is great. <laughs> or we'll just tell you you're wrong. Right. It's a gamble, but you're up for it, I think. <laughs> As a shrewd consumer of office supplies. Last question. Sorry, I know we've already wrapped up, but this feels like a good <laughs> ender. Uh, where do you buy your office supplies? Do you buy them at the traditional office supply chains? Or do you buy them at stationery stores? Didn't we just go through this? Did we? I tell the girl in the office to buy we them did. for me. <laughs> oh, fuck you. However, I am always a sucker for Target, specifically their, like, um, weird designer lines they do that now include a lot of office supplies and stationery. I didn't know Target had that shit. I don't even have a Target. I know, you live the worst life in the world. <sighs> <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us on this wild (laughs) journey. (laughs) Next episode is going to be a landmark episode, and we really hope that you'll join us for it. We don't know what our topics are yet. We didn't today either, but we did just fine. (laughs) 